Gunner, and I've been called many things. Gun enthusiast, monster hunter, doomsday prepper. I reject all these labels. What I am is a survivalist. I've scoured the dirt and dust of Nevada and Mexico, putting my life on the line to hunt supersized subterranean man-eating predators called graboids. Join me as I enter into and beneath the sands of hell. Welcome to Now Playing's Tremors Retrospective Series. This is important now. This is probably the biggest zoological discovery of the century. These creatures are absolutely unprecedented. Hosted by Arnie. I'm a masterpiece of self-destruction. Stuart. Well, I'm blessed with a sunny disposition. Most people seem to like it. And Jacob. You guys do what you do best. Find something simple and complicated. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Makes my skin crawl. Listener discretion is advised. And remember, life and survival starts here. Today, we're discussing Tremors 4, The Legend Begins. Starring Michael Gross, Sarah Botsford, Brent Rome, Ming Lo, Lydia Look, Sam Lee, J.E. Freeman, August Schellenberg, and Billy Drago. Directed by S.S. Wilson. This is the now playing co-host that's no stranger in the town of rejection, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is the host who could shoot the nuts off a squirrel at 100 paces, Jacob. 2003, who knew it was the year of the trimmers? I thought that was Peter Jackson's year, but nope. Video game, TV series, and a fourth movie goes into production. That Graboids Arcade finally came out? I don't think it ever came out, but I know that they were developing some video game and Michael Gross did do a voice for it. Yeah, I guess by this time, what, you had a PS2, PS3 maybe? So you could have those, yeah, him talking during it. Yeah, it had a bigger star cast than any of the Tremors movies. We were going to get Michael Gross, Frank Welker, Keith David, and Sean Christian. Okay, I know I know Keith David and Michael Gross. Who are those other two? Well, Sean Christian was the Desert Jack guy. Oh, okay. And Frank Welker is Megatron and Shockwave in the old Transformers cartoons. Okay, the original one, not that Beast Wars or whatever that came afterwards. No, no, a a very well-respected, renowned voiceover actor. Apparently, a a lot of lines were recorded. It was going to be on your GameCube and your PS2. They had vehicle models, character models, monster models, and at some point, well into production, somebody's like, nobody's going to buy this, and pulled the plug. <laughs> that was me, too. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, how? Why? Don't you do your market research before all that? <laughs> yes. I, I I feel like that. Like that's what the grosses of Tremors 3 would tell you. But, you know, again, I, we're not privy to these numbers. Maybe it rented like crazy. Again, we're building up to a number seven. People are watching these. But again, these nebulous people. How many people are we really... Enough to justify seven movies. How many people can keep a franchise alive? It's a question worth asking. They did make a video game for Tremors 4, though. It was a browser-based game called Dirt Dragons. And you basically just run around. It's, you know, when it's browser-based and it was done in 2004, it's a lot like the old Atari games with slightly better graphics, but you're a gunfighter who has a bunch of different types of guns and you have to go around shooting stuff. That's just promotion for the video, basically. Yeah, but 
a game. But the surprise to me was they wanted to continue what they supposedly were wrapping up with that conclusion ender. Tremors 3 is the jumping off point for a whole TV series. Well, you mentioned 9-11 last show and how Tremors 3 came out on video a couple weeks after that. But before 9-11, when everyone was still happy, theoretically, Tremors 3 premiered on the Sci-Fi Network. Appropriate. And got massive ratings. So Sci-Fi is like, give us more of this. We need these hot ratings. And so they came to the creators and were like, what about a TV series? And... It's something the creators had been wanting to do since the first Tremors. They'd been trying to approach people and like, Tremors the series. Nobody said anything. But now, Universal Television and the Sci-Fi Network were going to them and saying, hey, let's do a TV series. Did Michael Gross, did he need some more money? He need another hit TV show like Family Ties? Is he in this thing? Oh, yeah. He's not letting this thing go. You can't get rid of him. Wow. So this this is his bread and butter. Like, this is his employment. This is his job now. He's one of the producers. He's not the star. He's the and. He's and Michael Gross. Yeah, he's going to pop up in every episode, have a little cameo, shoot a worm. Oh, no, he's, he's a major star, but he's just not top bill. Yeah, you got to have some kids in here. And so... I saw, what, four episodes, maybe? I cherry-picked to see what this was. I was curious, not so much about how you turn into a TV series, but just, yeah, what was this going to do for Michael Gross and the storyline? And the fact that they're going to follow so closely and have all the characters continue, I expected a full reboot. I expected them to go nowhere near Perfection Nevada. Is it all in perfection? That seems like a cheap set to keep going. Well, they do travel a little bit. I binge-watched the whole series, all 13 episodes of it. And yeah, they have Michael Gross back as Burt Gummer. They have Melvin comes back for an episode. Yeah, he's developing, like, new real estate deals that go sour. So he's still a real estate guy in it. The stern goods are there. Nancy is still running the store, but... That actress actually had an exclusive television contract with a cancer charity because she was a cancer survivor and they wouldn't let her do a TV show because she could only appear on TV for the cancer charity. That's not charitable. (laughs) It really isn't. So they recast Nancy and her daughter appeared in an episode also recast. Jody Chang is in it. Recast. And El Blanco is in it. The whole town is like dealing with the fact that they have this giant white worm that is... Is he like the town mascot or something at this point? Kind of. Is he Jabberjaw, the talking shark at this point? And then we have a guy that's like Jack. I think he bought the business from Jack, the the young handsome guy that's going to try to start up the tour business and they give him the romantic storylines and what have you. It was supposed to be Jack, but that actor was off doing other television and... I have no idea why they didn't just recast Jack since they recast so many other people, but they decided to make it the guy who bought the amusement tour from Jack, even though at the end of part three, Jack's like, I'm going to stay and romance Jody. I guess that didn't work out. I think it's helpful to have a new character you can explain everything to, because presumably, although I don't know, it's sci-fi channel, probably everyone that watches that channel has seen Tremors. And they introduced Rosalita Sanchez, who was Miguel's niece. 
or granddaughter or something. I was going to guess that. <laughs> I didn't realize she was a relation. Yeah, they have a hot Latina for, again, she's, there's some sparks between her and the wannabe Jack. Also, Breaking Bad fans, Dean Norris is here as the kooky comedy relief fed guy. Hank? Yeah, he comes in, like, he's kind of the boss hog fun killer, but sometimes he'll do some good and blend in with the crowd, too. You know, he's the rule maker, because he's, he's government. And it's continuing the plot lines from part three, that this is protected land, and you can't kill El Blanco. No, so I should have watched this, because I'm not going to understand anything from here on out. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I didn't have to watch every episode. I did, because so far... This is the best Tremors has ever been. Better than the original? No, it's not. It To me, it is better than the original. I'll tell you what, and I can tell you why Arnie might think that. It reminded me of a lot of shows that came out of Twin Peaks. It's not like Twin Peaks at all, but in trying to recapture Twin Peaks, other networks created shows about kooky small towns that were sweeter and warmer and more television friendly and less David Lynch. Things like Picket Fences. Arnie, I think you bring up Picket Fences a lot. It reminded me of that show Eureka. I think that was also on Sci-Fi Channel. But yeah, basically, Perfection has just become a, a town full of paranormal events and it is you know about a fun loving group of people that try to hold it together so it's kind of almost a sitcom i was surprised it was an hour-long series because it has a sitcom warmth every episode's an hour yeah but it, it also i felt like it took from the x-files a bit but it had a light-hearted atmosphere. It reminded me of the syndicated shows of the 80s, too. You know, those hour-long action shows of the 80s, like the first season of War of the Worlds, when it was kind of light-hearted, and even somewhat Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah, this thing has a better cast than any Tremors movie. This has Christopher Lloyd... Wait, what? What? Christopher Lloyd shows up? In three episodes he didn't just do a walk-on he is a recurring cast member i mean what did he have going on in 2003 though yeah it was over for him but it's still christopher lloyd and you had michael rooker now yes this is before he was really a name but michael rooker you had nicholas Totoro when he was at his nypd blue high and he did two episodes you had the pink power ranger allison mcginnis do an episode and big for me you got melinda clark who is a genre actress we reviewed her in return of the living dead 3 <laughs> wow stunning cast no i i will say like the production values are pretty high and i like the people that kept that vibe going the monster of the week was kind of meh and i i you know they kind of seemed to be getting bored of the worms they weren't always about graboids a lot of the episodes are about graboids. Graboids are in New Mexico. Bert and this uh, new Jack Tyler have to go to New Mexico and investigate. But in addition to graboids, in a mine nearby, maybe that's something they'll use here in this one, maybe an abandoned silver mine, the government was doing genetic experiments during Vietnam with something they called the Mix Master that would combine DNA from two or more different creatures. So in one episode, there's acid-spitting plants, like Little Shop of Horrors. And in one, there's like the Scooby-Doo-ish green mist that kills people by sucking all the water out of it. And those were the Christopher Lloyd episodes, because he was one of the scientists who worked on the Mixmaster project. So whenever those came up, Christopher Lloyd came to give the backstory of what this genetic creation was. 
I feel like the show should have been called Perfection. It was about the town and yes. the monsters shaking underneath the ground was minimized. Except nobody would have tuned in for Perfection. They tune in for Tremors. But that's what I liked about the show is I really, after a couple episodes, came to care about these townspeople. I mean, there's only seven of them who were regulars on every episode, including Dean Norris, who kind of isn't a town person. But their relationships, their camaraderie, I liked this townspeople, and I enjoyed tuning in episode after episode until about episode 10. Uh, there were no plans for a Tremors 4 when Tremors the TV series was going on. Universal went to the makers and said, Tremors 3 sold like gangbusters. Apparently it takes a long time to get direct-to-video results, like years, to know if it's a hit. Mm. To make that six million back. Yeah, I can imagine so. So they went and said, it's a huge hit. We want part four. You must start filming in like three weeks. And they're like, can we start shooting in six weeks? Because Michael Gross is still working on the TV show in Mexico. No, you must shoot now. So they pulled Michael Gross out of the last two or three episodes. He, like, disappears halfway through an episode. Just gone. Oh, yeah, that does explain. (laughs) He wasn't in the shrimp one much at all. And he never comes back because he's gone off to shoot this. And the behind the scenes, apparently, sci-fi was a nightmare to work for. They kept chopping the budget down. You said the effects look good, Stuart. In some of the episodes early on, it did. By the end, it is so obvious they are blue screened or possibly even rear projectioned when doing something as simple as driving a Jeep. It's like old moonlighting episodes. It gets cheaper. It gets worse. And then Michael Gross just disappears without re reason but i feel like they could have had something here apparently they were one tenth of one rating point below sci-fi's metric for renewal it does sound like they came up with a novel way to keep this franchise going because my question is now that we've seen the life cycle of a graboid what's the point are we just going to redo that like you gotta keep giving us something new no Monster of the Week coming out of the cave seemed to be where they were headed. And I don't think that was a bad thing. I do think the best things about all Tremors movies, including the first one, which is still the best thing that is Tremors. I will not say that TV show is better than it. But I do think that what the show kept alive and expanded upon was the character dynamics. And that stuff, yeah, you got to have that. That is essential to all of the film. Let me put it to you this way. If Tremors 3 had had the dynamics of Tremors the TV series, it would have been a really solid recommend instead of really borderline film. And here, yeah, six episodes are Monsters of the Week. I was taking detailed notes on this. Seven episodes are Graboid episodes. Not all the Graboid episodes are good, like the episode where... Mindy comes back to town with her college professor to protest the treatment of El Blanco, and they actually have picketers out there trying to get people to all leave perfection so that El Blanco can have the space unfettered and not have to coexist with humans. Not all the episodes are great, but... I would have tuned into this series weekly. There are so many movie series we do, and it's like, all right, let's watch the TV show. And Dead Zone and this are the two that I would have watched without hesitation. But 
Are you accusing part four of killing the show? Do you feel like those last episodes aren't worth watching? Do you feel the greed of, of rushing into the movie we're here to talk about is why it probably didn't make that eighth of a point and clear those ratings? No, if you talk to the people behind the scenes, they're like, it was a hellish working experience and sci-fi was changing their image. You know, around the time this was airing, 2003, they were all about this kind of kooky, weird, funny sci-fi stuff. But Mm -hmm. then in 2004, they started Battlestar Galactica and Farscape and doing more hardcore, less winky stuff. Although they'd still have Sharknado, don't get me wrong. I was going to say Sharknado's coming a few years later. I heard some people were mad too because they thought this was the show that was supposed to replace Farscape, which was a very popular Jim Henson space show that it took the time slot and some people rejected it for that reason. Yeah, it just sounds like it was a bad working experience. It sounds like... Like, these people who had done movies had no idea how to run a TV show, and that sci-fi... What I read, put most diplomatically, sounds like the truth. The ratings were pretty good. The premiere broke ratings for a series premiere on sci-fi. No, Mm -hmm. nothing higher. And then the ratings decreased per episode to the point that it was a very expensive show and didn't justify the high cost. So they'd go with something less expensive. And I believe that. Sure. But I don't think Tremors 4 harmed that series. I would say skip the grossless episodes. Michael Gross is the best part of Tremors, the series. It really gets a chance to delve into Bert's anti-government paranoia and how sometimes, like when they're picketing, he starts quoting government law and they're like, Bert's hiding behind the government? There's irony. And Bert has to go to Roswell where everybody's expecting aliens and he's calling them paranoid nuts. I mean, it really allows Michael Gross to shine. So if you're in one of the Michael Grossless episodes, don't watch. But I don't think I'm not going to blame Tremors 4 for killing it. Tremors 4 just happened at the same time. Although the creators ruefully did acknowledge that Universal then pushed out the release of Tremors 4 by six months. So they really could have given them that few weeks. (laughs) And Michael Gross, of course, is going to be on Tremors 4. But the surprise may be he's not playing Bert. They have a different concept. Oh, come on. This is called The Legend Begins. It's a prequel. As soon as I saw Michael Gross on the cast list, I'm like, ah, he's they're doing Back to the Future 3. He's playing his grandfather or great-grandfather or something. See, when I found out it was a early, early prequel, my only thought was, how are they going to shoehorn Michael Gross into that? I didn't realize that they'd just go the I'm playing my ancestor route. Yeah, it's risky, right? We've seen this before. The Old West is tough to splice together with sci-fi. Cowboys and Aliens, Back to the Future 3, Wild Wild West. People tend to not like it. But I figure that's the cheapest way to go for this because Perfection already looks like an Old West town. You basically could use the same set. And so I was worried. I looked, like always, I'm looking at the box art. You can't really tell. It looks like the poster from the other movies. You can't really tell that they're dressed up in Old West gear like cowboy hats and such but they were very proud that this was the first box art to actually have a graboid on it that looks like a graboid with the tongues all the others just looked like giant snakes with teeth okay i guess it looked like the same box art to me it looked cut and paste i i barely noticed a difference it's that same brown color yeah (laughs) and you have to squint again you have to squint to see what they're doing their biggest creative leap is also the thing that they're trying to hide They don't want people to know that they're going to the Old West. 
I mean, where do you think the legend would begin? Well, they didn't quite know what to do. They had finished their trilogy, and when Universal came to them and were like, let's do another one, they kicked it back and forth and decided, let's go to the Old West. They were a fan of Westerns. S.S. Wilson was coming back to direct again. It wasn't going to be Maddock this time. Yeah, I'm glad about that. Tremors 2 was a better directed movie than Tremors 3. And so they decided, let's go ahead and do this. Although, ironically, no two Tremors films, at least up to this point, have been filmed on the same ground. Despite all of this, it's always filmed in a different location. They find a different place for perfection every time? Yeah, because they have to. Tell this to Melvin, but the place where they first film perfection is now a subdivision with houses. Yeah, I, I know that second one was filmed... Up where I went to high school and that, which is all suburbs. So, yeah, I believe that it was all developed. And Perfection is a real town. It just, they've never actually shot in the real Perfection, Nevada. It is. I looked it up. Apple Maps could not find Perfection, Nevada for me. I didn't know it was real. This one was shot. The mine is the mine that's right beneath the Hollywood sign. So, like, if they'd panned up, you would have seen the Hollywood sign. <laughs> Bronson Caves, right? Yeah, that's it. Now, I noticed that while, yeah, it's the original people, the same guys that have been working and developing all of these projects, that's good, it's keeping in family, I did notice there's a new screenwriter actually credited with the script, somebody that has not worked on Tremors before, but someone whose work we have covered, the later developer of Inhumans, the series. Oh, no. Yes, he's here to provide the story. Was this some script you wrote about cowboys finding aliens or something? Like, ah, just make them graboids. No, this guy was given very detailed treatment and told to write a script. And then when he, they gave the script back, Michael Gross and the director went through it page by page and <laughs> tweaked it. Michael Gross like, I need more lines. I need more screen time on this. But this guy is a TV producer. He'd done 34 episodes of Coach by this point. <laughs> Yeah, Dexter, Six Feet Under. Again, working in TV, you learn how to write on with speed. We only have a couple weeks to get this into pre-production. Then you need a TV writer who knows how to meet a deadline. And yeah, when they, when they say the script is done in three days, it really is there in your hand. He ended up having to do it in five days because he was busy working on Six Feet Under stuff. And so he talked about having all-nighters and turning in something he barely remembers, but they liked it because they asked for very few revisions. Right, and as you say, because it's in family and Michael Gross knows Tremors better than anyone, he can go back through the script and be like, okay, we can add this, we can do that, they can tweak it. It's their property then to, to take from there and improvise. So what did they do? Let's talk about that story. Arnie, give them the plot. Tremors 4, The Legend Begins, takes place in 1889, exactly 100 years before Graboids attacked Kevin Bacon in Perfection, Nevada. Because remember, that film took place in 89, even though it didn't come out till night. Yes. Back then, 100 years ago, the town was called Rejection, Nevada. It was a mining town. Who would name a town Rejection? I don't, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) I laughed, I thought that was funny. Welcome to Shithole, Illinois, population 14. But Rejection was a mining town, most people working in a nearby silver mine. When a monster appears in the mine and kills 17 miners, most other miners flee town to find safer work. Into town comes the mine's owner, Prissy Hiram Gummer, Bert Gummer's great-grandfather, played by Michael Gross. Hiram pretends to be a wealthy mine owner, but is soon forced to reveal his family put their last money into the silver mine and he is destitute. He has to his name only his family's watch, cufflinks, and a single gold coin. 
Hiram and the last few miners go to investigate the mine and discover a giant graboid is what ate the miners. Hiram is not used to frontier life, he can't ride a horse, he's never fired a gun, so to kill the monster, Hiram hires gunfighter Blackhand Kelly, played by Billy Drago. With no money, Hiram must part with his prized cufflinks and gold coin for the gunman's labor. Blackhand Kelly, Hiram, and Hiram's final miner, Juan, go hunting. Kelly teaches Hiram how to shoot, and the trio discover four hatched graboid eggs. But soon Kelly is eaten by a graboid. Juan and Hiram make it back to town, and Hiram flees town to escape the monsters, leaving the residents of rejection to their fate. But his conscience gets the better of him, and Hiram sells his gold watch to buy a wagon load of firearms and rides back to rejection. There, he and the townspeople set traps and kill all four graboids. The town safe, Hiram pledges fealty to the townspeople, saying the first money from the silver mine will go to rebuild the graboid-wrecked town, and the townspeople all agree to keep the monster's secret, lest it scare away new townspeople. The city is renamed from rejection to perfection, as credits roll. You know, and as we get started here, I want to just say, sometimes we don't give enough voice to how we as viewers have changed in the times that we started now playing. But I think Back to the Future was one of the first series I think we ever covered. Within our first year of now playing, we covered that Western Back to the Future 3. And I probably am on record saying I don't really like Westerns. I really like Westerns. I have really grown to love that genre. The more and more that I've discovered the good ones, the more I realize it's, it's a great way of really having your say about America. It feels very specific to this country, and it lends itself to all kinds of commentary and, and interesting ideas about what America means. So I actually am excited to be in 1889. I feel about Western films the way I feel about country music and the way I feel about tofu. I like all three. I mean, you can do all three. Sometimes it can be really good, but most of the time I don't like it and it's never going to be something that excites me. But if you go back to our Man With No Name reviews, I liked those films. There are westerns I like. There are films set in the west that I like. And there is some country music I like. I like early Taylor Swift. But by and large, it's a hard sell for me to listen to country or to watch westerns. I don't mind a western film, but what this tells me, placing this in the old west, again, we don't have a lot of money. This is a way we don't have to upgrade our sets, even though I guess they're moving from town to town every time they make one of these movies. But like, we could have the same cheap sets and... It makes me wonder, are, are they going to just try to do Tremors 1? But because it's the Old West, it's going to feel different. But that does make it different. I mean, I would argue, and I think you can't deny Back to the Future 3 has its own vibe because it's even though it's doing the old clock tower bits and what have you, it becomes its own thing because it made that choice. Yeah, I guess the Old West, it's all about guns. And <laughs> that's kind of how you fight these Tremors. And then you, except that last one, now it always gets super smart. But I don't know. Go back to medieval times. I want to see knights take these on or something. Thing. If you got firearms, it, it does make it feel too similar to what we've already seen. All the firearms in here, the director is very proud of saying on the commentary, are all period accurate with one exception that's like 30 or 40 years. Even the Gatlin gun at the end, that is a real Gatlin gun that was 
140 years old at the time of filming that still work. Yeah, I think this is the best looking made for video tremors movies we get. I don't feel like it's easy to pull off, period. I don't think that that's a choice that allows them to go cheap. I think they've done a very good job of using their limited budget to evoke the time period. Yeah, I'm into this movie from the beginning. It starts with a prologue. I don't believe the others have. I guess we did in Argentina last time. But we start with a prologue of when the miners are just doing their normal job and get attacked. But then we hop into these opening credits. I think this movie has the best score of any of them so far. I actually really liked the kind of Western music they have with a modern drum beat underneath. Techno twang. Is that what it's called? I like it. (laughs) That's what I'm calling it. Techno twang. This was the era of rednecks, right? Cotton Eye Joe. Like I was going to say, Cotton Eye Joe, did that come out yet? I think it went, no, I think it was around this time. I think they yeah, were. Yeah, was, was it a staple at weddings yet? We were feeling <laughs> it. Yeah, there was a whole Cowboy Ugly. It, it was trendy to put on a cowboy hat, even if you liked pop music. And pop people were pretending to be country and vice versa. Yeah, I like it here. I like these photos and While, again, I've already commented, I find the town of rejection a little silly, with the money they have, they pretty much sold me that this is period-specific. And I had to laugh that Chang's Market was Chang's Market 100 years earlier, that Victor Wong's ancestors came to America from China and started this market that he was still working at in the first one. Yeah, I I think they would have still been, unfortunately, like slaves doing the railroads at this time. But okay, I, I guess these ones made it out and they got their own market. I looked it up. Marjorie said the same thing. So I looked up Chinese in the Wild West. And believe it or not, a lot of them were out there making good money because Chinese prostitutes were the only ones who would cater to minors. And I don't mean children. I mean people who worked in a mine. Do you think that's what's going on with the wife here? (laughs) That's the untold story? I don't know, but I'm just saying there were Chinese businessmen in the Old West who weren't just slaves on the train. It sounds like Chinese pimps in the Old West. Oh, yeah. No, our Western movies totally distort the actual Wild West. Most cowboys were black. I mean, there's, there's just so much that has been literally whitewashed by Hollywood. I love the fact that we're seeing a Chinese family story. I love the fact that... That, again, who wanted a, a Godfather-like saga out of Tremors? But that's <laughs> apparently you did, Stuart. I'm finding that I'm really enjoying that take. I'm finding that because I did like the characters and because of the warmth of them has always been a part of it. It wasn't just about the monsters. I'm going to just put it out there. If you like Tremors because of the great monster attacks, this one may not be for you. But if you like Tremors because of the characters, I think it's very enriching to see the ancestors here. Yeah, 100% agree. This film solidifies that, oh, it's about the town. It's about the folks around their imperfection and not necessarily about the monsters, which sounds like something they may have taken from that TV show as well. And that's why I was able to eke out a Green Arrow for part three is because I like the townies in it. Yeah, I get it. And I I like these actors that are taking on the roles. These are not people we've seen with the exception of, of course, Michael Gross. These are not the actors that have played the characters in modern day or the 90s, I guess we would actually say. These are new actors that presumably have studied what previous actors have done in the roles and doing twists and, and variations on it. I love the fact that we have an old Fred again. 
And he's not going to live till the end. <laughs> he's going to die very similarly, in fact. There's a lot of subtle callbacks here and not so subtle callbacks here. But the more you know Tremors, one and two mostly, the more you're going to get out of here. Even three, which again, I said don't bother with. I think the more time you spend knowing perfection, and that town was the, was the focal point of the third movie, I do think that it will help your enjoyment of this film. Yeah, I definitely feel like as we get into these town folk here like we have christine who runs this hotel and she's going to end up being the love interest for hiram gummer and they definitely pick someone that that's got a reba mcintyre flair right like we're supposed to be thinking of reba i mean she's got red hair i <laughs> i think that was the primary uh thing yeah get a redhead that looks like reba i i wish it was reba i don't yes. know why reba <laughs> wouldn't come back for this but they probably didn't have reba money to pay her well because then you'd have that weird scenario just like in back to the future three where it's like the same bloodlines were uh, procreating and, and weird incest going on they had less money for this one than three they were down to five million for this wow okay it doesn't feel that way and reba does have a tv show going on around this time right yes for lots of reasons but yes all these people again the changs th that it's a whole family now and that we have a wife who is still very much thinking about china wanting to return to the motherland throwing these divination I Ching sticks to try and figure out what they should do. Yeah, it's not above doing that stereotype of the mystic oriental. Like, yeah, that could read the chopsticks and, and tell your future. Well, well, I mean, this is a B movie. I don't think that it's going to be progressive in any characterization. It doesn't mean it has to be regressive, though. It's not regressive. But it also doesn't mean that some didn't actually do that. I mean, yes, but they're very overrepresented in film and TV. That's all I'm saying. Perhaps, but I enjoy all of it. I would go far more with it in the 19th century than the 21st century is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that it's fine to have a superstitious wife who is, I don't know how you get words out of throwing sticks. I, I, I don't know. Someone needs to teach me that art. Is it on YouTube? Can I learn how to do this? Because I just thought that was pickup sticks. Isn't that similar to like when they throw bones and some mystics have like chicken bones and things that they pour out and based on the directions yeah. they point and things, it tells you something. It's a, guess what, guys? It's all made up. Yeah, reading tea leaves. I know what that is, but she literally says the words, expect the arrival of a great conqueror. I don't know how you get that out of sticks, but the point is she's setting up the arrival of our main character, the, the one carryover, our Michael Gross character, Hiram Gummer. And man, they're going for irony here because he gets off of that and it, you see Michael Gross with a period mustache that he actually grew, if uh, unless he just didn't take it off for the behind the scenes stuff. And he is going to be a priss. He is not the gummer we know he is not going to be the survivalist with the guns he is the exact opposite of that surrounded by survivalists with guns yeah this is not a surprise right we know this is what they're going to do with michael gross in this film he's going to be the priss and he's going to have to learn how to love guns and grow to be that second amendment loving descendant we'll see in the other films yeah it's a good choice though i mean i i'm hearing like you don't want to do that jacob but i actually no, think i'm just saying it's it's expected when he walks up 
walking through the town and walks up to that wall of guns, I was not prepared for him to say, I don't own a gun. You know, like we saw him with the bicycle early. Yeah. Did you see all his luggage in his bicycle? That tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. The joke passes quickly enough that I appreciate it. I don't feel like it was obvious or telegraphed. I feel like, oh, this is what they're doing. And Michael Gross probably doesn't want to play the same character every time. They want to have him stretch. And so... I mean, he still plays the same character. Just without the love for guns, but his vocabulary, his cadence, all that is still pretty much the same. He doesn't have his Atlanta Hawks hat, though, in this one because they didn't exist yet. Well, when they were unloading all that luggage, I thought it was going to prove to be weapons. You know, initially it had me fooled until the bicycle, but Michael Gross wanted to stretch further. He got the script and was like, well, instead of being the great-great-grandfather... What if it was the great-great-grandmother? He's going to go and drag? Completely. And he's like, and I play it, and not like jokey anything. Not Eddie Murphy. I'm not the clumps. No, like, he described it as, in the movie Tootsie, the way Dustin Hoffman became Tootsie and acted on screen like Tootsie, he would become the great-grandmother of Bert. Okay, so someone wanted to win another straight-to-video award for Best Actor, didn't they? Take that, Jean-Claude. I dare you to put on the dress. <laughs> at, at this point, it feels like Michael Gross just has some secret desires he wants to play out on screen. Guys, wouldn't this be a great idea if I, I wore a dress and I was a woman in this one? I think it's an actor thing, right? At some point, you're like, you have these actor things. You're where sick you're of like, playing your gender. You're, you just want to try new things and reach out and believe you can stretch. And But the director and producers reined him back in and like, no, let's go with a more classical romance. Yeah, that might have been a little just too jarring. I think that here, it's because he's the exact opposite of how we think of him. It gives him a predictable arc for, yes, how will he wind up laying the groundwork for his great-grandson to be the gun nut that uh, we love him to be. And so that's fun. That that gives us uh, somewhere to go with the character. And he's an asshole. I mean, I absolutely love the scene where he's taken into the hotel. And of course, we all think he's very wealthy, right? He came in with all this luggage. He's acting prissy. He's got this erudite accent. And then he's taken in and demands the innkeeper make him gingerbread, even though she didn't have the stuff. And then he steals the gingerbread, kind of, from the little boy by saying, if you go get me my... peach schnapps or whatever like the most dainty drink his after dinner aperitif yeah yeah, my girly liquor (laughs) you could have the last piece of gingerbread and he eats the gingerbread while the kid's getting the bottle i mean and just tells the kid anyone can be taken advantage of and if you can do it yeah i will say this about this script like the other ones have been kind of messy this one like does set things up like this is something that's going to come back later about greed and, and that boy's going to learn to take advantage of him like th- so yeah maybe michael gross made these improvements i'm not sure but i did notice this script does seem a little bit tighter yeah best of those series as far as construction absolutely payoff things being set up in act one coming back in act three amazing that it was done under such constraint because it feels like they spent the most time on it. 
I'm going to disagree with best of the series. I do feel like despite this town having only a small handful of townspeople, as we've said in all the previous ones here, most of these characters feel woefully underdeveloped. I don't have anything to say about the vast majority of characters here, including the love interest Christine, Juan... Yeah, there, there's character we haven't mentioned yet, Tacopa, who's this Native American, who his only trait is he wants to look like the wooden Indian in front of the hotel. Or he wants the wooden Indian to look like him. Or look like him, yeah. But yeah, if you're coming to this, and I realized, okay, this this series, this franchise, it seems now more about the townies, and maybe that's the right way to go. That That's what I've enjoyed the most. But yeah, that's the problem. You got this group, and I don't feel like a whole lot is done with them. I like them all. And I, again, I don't know that it's anything more than they've cast them well, and they have uh, good chemistry with each other. I feel like it feels like the people that have committed to stay, while everyone else has streamed out of this town, in mass you know the post office is gone the blacksmith is gone you know she gives a tour and she's like yeah it's all closed these are the people that are committed and i do feel like the fact that that explains why they're all hanging out at the market trying on hats trying to make a go of this some of it is financially they're dug in here like this chinese family where will they go if they can't sell their goods this one, he's got to pay off his farmland. He'll have a sad sack story about how his father always wanted to have land and he's fulfilling that dream. Yeah, is this Miguel's like grandfather? Because Miguel had a ranch, right? And that's Juan's whole thing is he wants a ranch. Could be. I didn't make the connection, but I, you know, I, we, Miguel, you want to talk about thin characters? I never thought about Miguel. I counted Miguel out in the first film, and so he came back in the third, so I can't discount Miguel. Who knows what he'll do in this franchise? He may come, well, I guess he died, so he's not going to do much now. The actor who played Miguel said he was very upset, and if he'd known there was a TV series, he wouldn't have let them kill him. <laughs> but I don't know, yeah, it, they all work for me in, in the same way. I don't feel like, oh, I'm missing the old town. I want the girl on the pogo stick. The boy on the water tower is as good as, as that. It may hurt that I just came off of seeing the TV series, which had the best townies of any Tremors, and they had 13 hours, so they had each their best definition, but here, I feel part three even developed its town people a little bit better than this episode does. I won't even say it developed them better. I just liked them more in part three. Jody trying to take over the store and not having time to look up at the clouds and Jack. I don't know. I, I just liked their characteristics more than I like these characteristics. I'm not even going to call them characters because they're not that, but I like their traits in that, that other film than this one. This one, I think they set up some interesting characters. I just don't feel like any of them really do much in this film. Isn't that the case with every Tremors, even back to the first one? I'm like, I forgot about the mother and the daughter hanging out on their roof. And, you know, the fact that all of them survived, I'm like, why were they here? None of the movies have done justice to the townspeople. But here, it feels like they really should have. And it's egregious that they're just sidelined so much because this is going to be Michael Gross's film. And when he leaves town, we forget there are townspeople. Yeah, I don't know that you couldn't have built it around Michael Gross. If, could you have not had him come back or had a different actor play him and taken it longer for us to realize that he was Bert's great-grandfather. I think you got to bring Michael Gross in, and I think if it's Michael Gross, he's your movie. You go where he naturally goes. 
Okay, then bring some of these town folks with him. The fact that he's going to go investigate these worm attacks with Soggy and Brick and Stony, and, and they're all going to go away in this scene anyway. Give me some characters I, I, I have an interest in so I can see them develop. That's a hilarious scene. I'm not going to let you knock that scene. When the guy breaks out the accordion, he's like, the horse like it. <laughs> I was laughing. I mean, it's funny because it's a Tremors film, so I know what's going to happen. So I, I find that kind of amusing, but that's about it. Yeah. No, no. This is, again, it's a really funny, because it's so cliche and they know it. They know that Juan's the whole thing about, I'm staying with this town because of I've got to pay off my debt and all that. And they have this guy in the background doing the squeeze box. Like, it again, it's that sassy Gen X humor that has always been in the Tremors movie, even though it's in a different time period, they're going to keep that snark. And I appreciate that. Yeah, there's just not enough snark in this one for me, I guess is what I'm saying. This scene has plenty of it. It's as funny as any scene they've ever... Yeah, this scene, but it's a a scene. I'm hearing that you're not liking this movie, and I don't know why. It's a really entertaining rethink of the town. I'm saying I actually think they've set things up that could be better and I'm seeing wasted potential. I guess that's my frustration is that I, oh, here's some interesting characters you could do something with. Like I called out the script. This is a tighter script. This is a better script, but I just don't think they do anything interesting. So good for your fundamentals. That's great. You got the basics down. I just wish there was more entertaining things going on in the town than this mildly humorous scene of Stoney playing the accordion. I'm going to come down the middle and say, I enjoy the Michael Gross humor where he insists on sleeping around trees so he can break out this hammock. And I I enjoy that stuff, but these miners aren't around and developed enough for me to care. And the accordion scene, I didn't really have a feeling about it one way or another. And it didn't stick in my mind because these characters are all dead in the next scene. I mean, I was worried about the horses, but the horses always just run off. They don't kill them like in that first one. Uh, you know what? We spend a lot of time on Now Playing talking about developing the characters. And all that. It is a comedy. Like, they don't need to be fully fleshed out characters. It's, I'm laughing. Okay, they need to make me laugh then. That's all I'm saying. I can't speak for you, Jacob. I'm laughing at this setup. It is funny that they got a hammock catching worms and he's got a whole full tea set and it's sitting in the campfire and it's whistling and bringing the worm up and it's eating it and then spitting it out because it's too hot. All of this is working really well. I'm not feeling it's working well, but I'm feeling it's mostly working. I'm getting through it, and it's not bad. I'm not going to say it's bad, Stuart. (laughs) You're not saying... Not bad is not a... I I do not dislike is not an endorsement. I mean, I I just want it to be clear, because I'm hearing so much negativity from you guys. I'm liking this, everyone. I think this is a fun movie. I'm surprised. I was expecting this to feel desperate. What you described as, oh, the old movie done in Old West drag, and I'm feeling like they're having a lot of fun with the old movie while coming up with new bits. And I agree that they're coming up with new bits, but this isn't going to win any new fans to the franchise. This isn't shouldn't be the first Tremors film anybody watches. You should not begin the legend here is what no, you're saying? No, the legend, you shouldn't watch these, you know how some people are like, I have to watch Star Wars movies in chronological order. Because they're wrong. One, two, Solo, Rogue One, you know. And here, you shouldn't start with The Legend Begins because it's fun is in the callbacks to the previous films, and there is fun. What there isn't is Graboids. Why are we talking about the miners? Where's the worms? Dirt Dragons, they have been rebranded. This is the first hatching 
we will eventually find out that all of this may have occurred because they rerouted a hot springs with some pipes and that hot water poured over some eggs, four eggs. Good script here. Again, we complained why didn't people have something to do with the graboids here? They hatched because we messed with natural resources and redirected springs and uncovered those eggs. And I guess they needed that hot water to hatch them. So good. Again, Stuart, I'm I'm trying to call it the positive. I think this is a well-constructed film, you know, for direct-to-video. And it means it doesn't have a 300-year gestation period, which was silly. It means the eggs are laid wherever the ass blasters put them, but it takes extreme heat to gestate and hatch the eggs. Not to mention they're miners, and of course, that first guy probably dug something up that he shouldn't have. I mean, I think it didn't help the fact that they're digging into the soft earth. They were going to find these if these eggs were around. But yes, more attention has been given to the why now, and it has yeah launched into some slapstick farce, and now we're, yes, presumably we're in the monster section of the Western, but it does go away quick. I do feel like you're right, Arnie. If you are here because you love Graboids, this may be the least satisfying of the fourth. You have to like Westerns, because a lot of it is about sitting around waiting for a gunslinger to come. Oh, there's so much time devoted to telegraphs in this film. Like, so much just clicking of Morse code. And dealing with Gummer coming clean and admitting he is poor. He needs the silver mine to be running. He can't pay his hotel tab. He can't afford $5 to pay the little boy for fixing his bicycle that broke the chain. He's going to give the kid the bike instead of admit that he doesn't have $5. And that's good character stuff. You're saying there's not enough time to develop that. But his whole relationship, he started by showing Fu Yin how to cheat someone. Then that kid turns around and cheats him. Then he's mad when he realizes the kid is spending all his time working down in the well and not riding. Riding the bicycle that he gave him. Uh, that that was nice development. Yeah, no, Michael Gross is the main character, so he gets all the development. He does, and it is set up. He is, starts off as an asshole, and he's going to become a lot like Bert and a nice guy by the end of the film. And they have to set all that up. He is well-defined. You know, like I said, Michael Gross went through the script, and I'm sure he looked at his character beats and made sure they were well-defined, but nobody else has any. That relationship that kid had was better than Mindy ever got in either of her two movies. Agreed. Or Melvin. The little kid does, but I I can't say that Christine here is any better off than Mindy. Christine, unfortunately, is not as good as Reba McIntyre. If she was, she'd be killing it. I mean, I think she's cool. What she is is she's progressive. She won't allow the Native American to be dogged upon. You know, she makes the point that he's not her servant. She's a, He's a, her friend, and, and they have that relationship. You think it could even be potentially romantic, but of course, they're saving her for... Hiram, so they're not going to fully go there. And I do think it's a funny joke that she has this huge gun collection, and so you're like, oh, okay, she's going to be the gun nut, but no, she just takes them as payment because no one has money, so they just give her guns when they stay at night in her hotel. But every Tremors film, we haven't called it out since the first one, but every Tremors film has Bert's wall of guns, and so here we get to see the Old West wall of guns, even if it isn't Gummer's. I really like Billy Drago. Like, he doesn't have much of a character, but he's going to blow in and bring a different energy. They put out on the telegraph that they need a gunslinger to kill worms. And so he shows up and says, yeah, I let rattlesnakes bite me for fun. I'm not afraid of this. And I think he's doing a really fun kind of Jack Palance 
lovable, dark gunslinger. I agree. I really like him. I like how you expect he's going to shoot the apple that's thrown through the air and he just eats the apple. I like that he's not a stereotype. He's he's not going to shoot everyone who looks at him the wrong way. When he goes out with Hiram, he's going to be like, Hiram, you need to learn how to shoot a goddamn gun. And he's going to teach him. He is a little bit of an Obi-Wan character. I feel like the way Hiram is becoming, I mean, not to say a father figure to Fu Yen, because Fu Yen has a father, but he's going to become like a godfather figure to Fu Yen. Well, Blackhand Kelly is going to become a bit of a father figure teaching Hiram to man up and stop asking for help getting on a horse. Well, initially, he's like, grab the gun that feels right for you. And then it'll end up being this little pea shooter. So he's like, okay, this didn't work. Let me give you a real gun. Like, I, again, these guys could have had their own movie. Like, they could have been the Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward thing going on. If they really wanted to get the gunslinger in there earlier and make it just about Bert and Black Hand Kelly. And Juan. You could skip Juan. You really could. I think having a third there balances it out. I mean, I wouldn't want just the two in a Tremors film, but yeah, I'd have preferred we leave rejection behind and just have a lot more time with Black Hand Kelly and a lot less time with Tacopa and Christine and o- Old Fred. <laughs> well, we just see Old Fred dead, basically. I thought he was going to live because he was going to live to be the farmer in the first movie. I thought that was what they were setting up. He was no Old Fred always gets it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there's I guess a series of old friends that don't have children and yet they still will pop up every hundred years I, I guess my problem with Blackhand Kelly is that he comes in late in the film and he goes out relatively quickly I, I thought yeah okay you, you don't have a badass gun shooter Burt Gummer in this film that's going to be Kelly and then Gummer's going to learn those skills but he goes out pretty quickly I like that he dies I think that you know it's important to have Hiram stand on his own and it did you know having just watched City Slickers because the original Tremors director got involved in that movie after Tremors you forget that Jack Palance didn't last that long in that movie either I do feel like maybe City Slickers was a frame of reference as they were putting this piece together he has about as much screen time yeah they're still friends with that director and but Curly's gold had come out by now. They, they knew Jack Plants was, was the gold for that franchise. Keep Black Hand Kelly around longer. I know you're joking. I don't think anyone is trying to do anything like City Slickers 2. No, but what you see what I'm saying is they knew, oh, Jack Plants, that was the appeal. So let's bring him back, you know, keep him around longer. So I, In I, City Slickers, there is a whole we need to man up Billy Crystal. And that's what Jack Palance does. And similarly, Billy Drago, who we've seen recently, he was Papa Jupiter in that reboot of Hills Have Eyes and Untouchables. He was the guy that went off the roof. I always like him. He's a good, slimy character actor that is always fun to pop up. He's fun here. He enlivens Trimmers with his appearance. And he's here for a half an hour. I mean, unfortunately, this movie's too long. Like, I'd say every Tremors film since the first <laughs> All one. All of them cut 10 minutes. Yeah, he's here for 30 minutes of 100. So it's a minority. But... And I feel like a lot of that time is is watching tentacles pull floorboards out of a room. Like, that goes on way too long. But I like his performance. I like, he kind of reminds me of the preacher from Poltergeist 2 with his wide-brimmed hat, his the way he talks through his teeth, his stringy hair. But I like him in this, and I, I like how he influences 
Hiram's character and what he imparts before he dies. But unfortunately, there's not enough to make him a character. He's merely here to influence Hiram as a character. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think the movie it could have. We could have, like I said, they could have reduplicated the relationship of Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward here. Instead, it feels more like Curly and, and Billy Crystal. And yes, what it leaves is now Hiram feels, well, if he can't live and he can't face these things, how can I hope to? And there's four of them now that they know that, too. They discover the four eggs. I think initially he thought there was one monster. Now there's four monsters. Yeah, do we see them as, like, little, I mean, relatively speaking, but they look like ticks at one point, and I guess they grow into these bigger worms, but they do have a smaller form that we see, like baby graboids. Yeah, they. it feels like a different, a, a variation on the design. They, they have not evolved into what we will see in 1989. And speaking of evolution, I wonder if somebody was like, all right, ass blasters, we went a little too far. Let's call these dirt dragons. That sounds a little bit more classy. For sure. Yeah, we didn't need to be, like, if they belched or something like that, that would, no. Don't go in that no, direction. I can't, I can't wait for the part five, you guys. No frat humor. I, I'm, I'm putting that stamp on it. Not in the Old West. But yes, so he's not going to be able to do this anymore. He does manage to kill one of them. I don't know if he realizes it. But as Christine is coming to the rescue with the stagecoach, and yeah, they've ripped up the floorboards and the outlaw is devoured, he pulls out that slingshot that the little kid gave him and just flicks a bullet at the one chasing them, the graboid that almost grabs their carriage, and I think it's dead. I believe you've misunderstood that scene. He's running from the Graboids on the horse, and Christine says the horses can't go any faster. He pulls out the slingshot and hits the horse's ass, and the stagecoach speeds up, and the Graboid loses the sound or the scent. And so the Graboid just stops. But there are, there are four Graboids killed in the climax. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it definitely slows down, and I couldn't figure out why. But you're telling me... That's because the horses sped up. Okay. Okay, all right. Yeah, that was the whole point of the slingshot was to hit a horse in the ass so that they could speed up the footage and make the horse go faster. I'm going to say this about the floorboard attack and about this movie in general. The creatures look better than they have in the past couple films. There is no CGI monsters here. They use CGI for some of the ground rippling and some of the other things, but no CGI monsters. These are all either miniatures or life-size puppets, and it looks so much better than the CGI of the past two. Yeah, I think these tentacle puppets that are pulling the floorboards away, they're adorable looking. Like, I want one. Sell me one at, at, at Chang's store, and, and I'll pay five bucks for that. Yeah, and that's the line you want to walk. You want the monsters, like a gremlin, to be kind of cute. Like, again, we've gotten away from the idea of scary, but I am going to ask, and I realize I'm asking people that don't necessarily love the Western genre, is there too much Old West? Should there be more monsters in the first hour? I would like more monsters. I don't. I actually don't mind that this is in the Old West as I get into the film. It's fine. I don't feel like that's a detriment. I feel the detriment is not enough Graboids. Jacob, you and I are watching the exact same movie here. Everything you say, I'm like, yep. I mean, I'm liking this Old West setup. I think Michael Gross is adapting to it. And really, every time I see him, I'm like, wow, this guy has acting chops I never would have guessed for Mr. Keaton. 
that is the shock because I kept waiting for these to turn into disastrous Michael Gross just hamming it up films. Here we are in part four and it hasn't happened yet. No. So I'm enjoying the setting. I'm enjoying his relationship with the little boy. I like seeing the birth of the town we will come to know as perfection. But man, I'm in a Tremors movie and I want me some graboids and there's not enough. It occurred to me w- without it being a problem. Like, I realized when they were taking away the boards, I'm like, we haven't seen too many attacks. But I haven't minded. I mean, I guess because I'm going to assert I like the Western genre that they were doing that well enough that I wasn't missing the monster movie element. I was missing the monster movie element quite a bit. Yeah, what what were they doing so well about the Western genre? Like, what what grand insights are you having into the founding of America if that's what the Western represents to you? I I feel like, yeah, this is a Western genre pick. It's not doing anything amazing with the Western stuff, but it's also not doing anything horrible. Maybe I'm overselling it. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yes. I'm not it's not an amazing movie, but for a part 4 of a Tremors movie that was desperate enough to go to a different century, that sounded really terrible. I predicted this was going to be very bad. And so I have been delighted that it's a very competent Western that, yeah, is just about immigrants trying to find their way. And stuff that you guys are saying, I don't like these townspeople, is not working, move on. I actually enjoy all the scenes of them at the market, working it out. To to respond to that, I like these townspeople fine. I can't dislike the townspeople when there's no character there at all. Yeah, I agree. I don't know what that means. There's no character at all. We see the Chinese family debating about whether they should leave. We see the hotel woman. I mean, we saw... Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward have that big debate in part one. I mean, it's nothing new. I don't know what you want. You guys, you have high standards. I I don't know what... No, I don't have high standards. I think you do. And I think if you're judging these townspeople well, this is a fail at an ensemble film. This is a Michael Gross film and everybody else stands dark in his shadow. It is a Michael Gross film, and all the supporting characters are as charming as they are in Tremors 1 and 3 and 2. But we had more heroes in 1 and 2 at the very least. In both of in 1, we had three heroes counting Bert, and in 2, we had three heroes. And in 3, I think 3 had better town interplay than this. I cannot go with you on that. These Changs are not better than Walter Chang in the first one. I mean, they're fine. But they're not better. You know what makes it better in the other ones is I think about when Mindy and her mother were being attacked at the store by an ass blaster while Bert and Jack and Jody were out in the country being attacked by other ass blasters. You felt like there was a multiple pronged threat. Here, the townspeople are perfectly flippin' safe in town until the climax when... Hiram is there to protect them. At no point is anyone here in danger unless they go to the mines with Hiram. No, no, absolutely. They're setting it up that Hiram is the sheriff, that he is the one that's going to save them, that they're going to pack it up. When he says, I'm out of here and goes off to, you know, is this Bixby? You know, we keep hearing about this town of Bixby and it's this prosperous place where the hotel has four walls and a bathtub. It looks... It's not Carson City, I don't think. 
there's a sign that says Valiant, like Valiant Bank or something. I guess that could just be the brand of bank, but or or whatever the store was. But I took it as that was the name of the town. I thought the same thing too, Stuart. That oh, he's going to go to Bixby. We'll finally get to see Bixby. But I didn't see any Bixby signs. I saw Valiant. But yeah, he he is ready to give up. Of course, this is a classic conflict that you have the hero rejecting the call and they're going to do it too they realize that there's no hope they've sent out on the telegraph but they own a silver mine now they blackmailed him out of the silver mine he could have at least sold it for fifty thousand dollars and that's back when fifty thousand was a hell of a lot of money and they're like no you're we're going to let everybody in the news know that this mine is full of monsters if you don't give it to us to stop others from dying and again, and that's serving him his own medicine, right? He was a cheat. He was the one that took such pleasure in robbing a small child out of a gingerbread cake. So the fact that they tricked him out of his mind feels like, yeah, a lesson learned. And a reason why he might leave them all to die. But he's not going to. He still has that gold watch. He's going to sell it. We're not going to see that. He, we see him leave the train station without his tickets. And then he's going to ride into town. And he's becoming the gummer we know. A little bit more birdie as he has every gun under the sun back there. Including that awesome giant punt gun in the back. Is this real? You said all these guns were period accurate. Is this a thing? Like, what do you use this for? You use this if you are trying to kill ducks or other animals ducks this there would be nothing left to sell to market it's full of pellets and so you find a flock of geese or ducks oh so it's like a shotgun cannon yeah you fire it once you kill everything in the flock and now you have stuff to sell it was mostly used on a on a boat to kill waterfowl seems like overkill to me but okay Come on, it's Bert Gummer's great-granddad, and he's getting in the spirit of firearms. So, like, Oh, no, I get the joke, Stuart. I get the joke. They're bringing it back. I li- also like the joke that Juan is like, this will be our Alamo. And they're like, we lost that. He's like, no. Nope. <laughs> no, we did it. <laughs> it's all perspective. It's That's the gringo perspective. That was a good joke, yeah. I did like that. You know what? I'm going to say, once Hiram rides back into town at an hour and 15 minutes, yes, we're at the climax, and there's only 25 minutes left, but it's the best 25 minutes of the film. It's the most fun now that we get to see Hiram as Bert giving everybody the guns giving Juan the hat he's wanted or a spare hat because he's had this hat fetish this whole movie planning the traps figure you know setting up cans to know that the graboid is coming since you can't have like the you can't have a seismograph exactly so i like what they're doing here yeah i like that again we're going into like steampunk territory there's this steam engine that we've seen i'm like oh that's that's gonna be like the tractor or something from the first one that they're gonna try to escape on that they're gonna use it for something else but yeah i like again you're taking these monsters and you got to put it in an old-timey setting and and see how they would fight that again i wish it wasn't so much relying on guns but like there's a kill where they use like a saw and it runs into that saw and like cuts its head open so there is some fun here yeah that was Chekhov's flagpole host because (laughs) i was gonna say was that the hole he was digging for the flagpole? which was a good joke like nevada doesn't even have a flag yet well we'll be ready for when it does i felt like that was really stupid and then when they put the saw in it i'm like okay now i know why they did it but it's still silly to have this guy digging a flagpole when there's no flag yeah it is but i liked that kill 
I liked that the Graboid just ran right into the saw and bisected himself. I mean, that's in the long tradition of Graboid killing as they run into something. Yeah, running into cement barriers, yeah. Yeah, they've been able to do callbacks without it feeling like a note-by-note replay. And that's an art form. You know, we've seen many sequels where I'm like, this is the same movie and I the joke isn't funny this time. They have still found a way to make the joke feel fun. Fu Yin gets in some trouble. You know, they tried to protect him, keeping him in the market. And then the telegraph goes off and, you know, they have a whole fight scene in there. They do what they can on the budget. I'm not saying this stuff is great, but I am going to say that I am surprised this movie has as much going right for it as it does in the climate. No, I agree. This climax, it really picks up and I'm enjoying this stuff. My favorite is Juan on the, what, telephone pole or what telegraph pole? And he keeps climbing higher and it keeps falling lower. Yeah, some good physical comedy stuff. Now, th- it is said that they're turning the steampunk thing into a firecracker, but it doesn't actually explode. They end up killing the last worm by doing a fishing thing. Yeah, they were going to make firecrackers because they got Chinese people. But yeah, they don't have time. So they got to create this like fishing line with this steam engine. And the gummer that needs to learn how to make bombs, right? That's the other thing is that we have a long history of Bert always having the explosives. He's got to learn how to do that. Yeah, that's what I thought it was, was a direct callback to part one where he had the gunpowder and made the homemade bombs. But no, it's going to be the steam engine. And it's a fun kill to see the Graboid dragged into the steam engine. And yeah, again, getting practical monsters instead of those subpar CGI ones is always a plus. And getting splatter, I like. I think this is the one point of splatter, right? There was one earlier, but yeah, this is the big one. And then, I mean... Hiram staying in town. I mean, we figure he's going to have to marry Christine, even though I haven't really felt heat between them. She's trying to teach him how to target at the end and giving him a Gatlin gun. That is, again, a real Colt Gatlin gun from the 19th century. Not even a replica of it. That is the actual one, and it's still fired. He can finally hit the cans. I mean, that's the thing about <laughs> yeah. him. Every time you hand him a gun, he never hits the target. This There's no way you can miss with something that's going to fire that many bullets hey he hit with the punt gun too i mean you give him a million bullets he's gonna hit the target he needed two tries with that punt gun though (laughs) a second time a giant thing at close range with the biggest gun ever and he misses the first time i did think it was silly the graboid pops up twice through that same hole they should be like lightning never never pop up in the same place twice that's how bad a shot he is i found it funny that it decided to eat the gun it was the graboids always learn and they're like all right we need to get rid of this it's also said the reason why none of this is known by characters in the future continuity is that in order to protect the value of the mine they can't tell the story about what they did here so it's not really a legend so it, it didn't begin maybe it's a legend because people didn't believe the stories about monsters why would you stay in perfection if there is a legend like this like i felt like i feel like kevin bacon and fred ward would have known about this legend by that time why would you stay in the pacific northwest with bigfoot rumors i mean you'd think it's a fake oh i see what you're saying yes yeah but it never gets referenced so legend begins it's a meta subtitle for me But is it a recommend for you? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Tremors 4? Jacob. This was another struggle. Like, it's Tremors 4. It's direct video. I do think this, again, is the tightest script. Like, they they follow all those fundamentals you would learn in screenwriting. Uh, Maybe that's the benefit of having a TV guy is that stuff is typically pretty formula. And and so you just pop your characters in there. But that's not necessarily bad. I've said 
before on uh, with other films like man if they could just get to the fundamentals like that would be a big improvement so th- they got that which is great and then that again probably the tightest script of all these tremor films I-, I guess my problem is is when black hand kelly shows up like okay cool concept and then he's there and he's gone and i'm kind of just bored during his whole segment like i'm i'm into meeting the people in this town i like the last 25 minutes but there's a whole chunk of middle where I am bored as I'm watching floorboards get pulled away by by cute little snake puppets. I do like those puppets. But oh, is this look, if you love one through three, if you love that television show, dig in. You you're probably gonna like this one. It's not bad, but is it recommendable? I, I guess where I fall, like those first three, it's a trilogy. You get your little complete life cycle of the tremors here. I got to talk to you a bit more, see what your tastes are, because again, I do feel like this one just loses steam in the middle of it and it just kind of lags and and yeah, it needs to be 10 minutes shorter. It needs to get to the point. It needs more monsters. That's my problem. As, as good as these town folks may be, they're not good enough to make up for the lack of monsters. And that's my problem. I feel like those townies before I could be interested in just listening to them talk or see what their little dilemmas, not all of them like Melvin don't really care about him, but there's other ones that I enjoyed. So the, this one, I'm, I'm going to say, if you're new to the series, no. Go one through three. See if you like it. And this one, again, this is for hardcore fans. If you watched all 13 episodes, you'll probably dig this. But I would tap out at this one. This this one was not great. It, I got bored in the middle there. So, uh, week not recommend. Stuart. I do not understand that. This is so easy to watch. I had no boredom issues whatsoever. It is not perfection, but it it does not deserve rejection. I mean, I do feel like Tremors 4 is easily the best Tremors movie since the first one. Like, easily, handily, just beating the shit out of the other two. And why is that? Because, yeah, the script is very knowing, both about the Western genre and about the previous films, what worked about it. And this director, good with physical comedy. There are many bits that work the actors all play off well the characters we know they're going to be and with each other I, again i got very minimal problems other than that yeah maybe you don't want to watch any more tremors movies and good news if that's the case there isn't a whole lot of monsters coming out of the ground you may not miss the fact like me that this has been a minimized monster movie if that is the draw and of course it would be i think that probably is the biggest strike against this movie is that you're just not going to have a lot of bloodlust until the end satisfied so i kind of wish they got reba back i feel like the one area where it would have helped is if they had worked her in there as the hotel proprietress but otherwise yeah it's a it's a one-off i'll give you that i don't want more <laughs> i don't want them to go to medieval times i don't want them to go to the 1920s and have bootleggers and worms but if you're going to have a story that completes the portrait of perfection i think that this is the maybe the only sequel you really need and jacob you said if you love the first three movies if you love the tv series then you'll love this i love the tv series and i recommended the first three movies but you know what i'm saying love like yeah you're not in the cult i'm not in the cult and I'm on the borderline like I was last time. I mean, is this a worse movie than three? Appreciably? No. I mean, three I watched twice, and it I, I'm still struggling to remember points. But, 
I feel like Jacob and I are sharing a brain this weekend because bored is the general emotion I felt during the majority of this movie. I was excited at the beginning that we were going to see something new, and I really liked what Michael Gross... I mean, I cannot believe I'm praising Michael Gross as much as I am. Yeah, he is not the worst thing about this series thus far. But I really liked what he was bringing to this new character as the ironic opposite of Bert. But what I bring it all down to is... The fact that this movie was also supposed to set up the Gummer clan and that Hiram and Christine were going to fall in love and go build that house on the hill with the basement and have children and teach them all to shoot. There is no heat between those characters to the point that at the end when he's like, I don't have to live there alone. I'm like, where is this coming from that he is saying that to Christine? It's because every townie is just a cardboard standee to be there. And I don't care about him. It's a we cannot recommend. Oh my God, you guys, I don't know. I, I throw my hands up. And again, I'm not like a, you can, you don't have to see any Tremors movie. Let's just be honest. It's a B <laughs> movie. It's not even an important series to cover, but this one was so much better put together. Like I just, the craft that went into this movie is so higher. Listen to yourself. The craft, the craft of Tremors 4. Seriously. <laughs> I can't believe you're not giving the movie more than that. You're acting like it was garbage. They had very little money very little time they put together something that was tight and pretty on point with the original i agree i wish i wasn't bored in the middle of it though i i I was counting floorboards getting pulled away there were just too many characters who came in like those miners at the beginning or even black hand kelly characters who came in made a minor impression and we're eaten, and we have these characters in the background that I didn't get to spend enough time with instead. If we had taken some of these townspeople out and had them instead of the miners in that second bout and had one of them turn out... You really think that this is a character-driven story where you needed to see these incredible arcs? If you're going to take the monsters out, then yes, I need to see something entertaining with this group of people. It's one of two things. It's character-driven or it's a monster film. There's no monsters for three quarters of this movie, so where's the character? It's a comedy, and the the you had the foolish miners there to be knocked down like bowling pins. They were obvious dead meat. I will say, I did not expect things to get this contentious during any Tremors review. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just again, I'm I'm not mad. I just no. I can't believe you guys are saying not recommend after you. I think you oversell the movie last time, then. And, and I think you're overselling this as a comedy. Yeah, this is no clerks. We're overselling trimmers. I mean, I do feel like, again, this is not my favorite series we've ever covered. It's slightly better than Zombieland at this point. Wow, okay, we just have different tastes, and that's, everyone has their own taste. Zombieland 2? You really thought that was a... I would would watch Zombieland 2 before I'd watch Tremors 4, yes. Wow. Yeah, I'd I'd watch Zombieland 2 before any Tremors film. I'd have to really think about the TV series versus Zombieland 2. Okay. All right. I think they're very comparable. I think they're very much in the same spirit. And I think that second Zombieland movie was bad enough that it hurt that franchise and that this is doing a little bit better because I have recommended three out of four. We have all recommended three out of four. 
So that is a better record than if you had given one recommend to Zombieland and one not recommend, which I did. But I'm 100% on Zombieland. So there you go. Yeah. And you also, you guys also really love that first one, which I was like, eh, it's fine. But we're not talking Zombieland. We're talking Tremors. And next week, we're talking Hellraiser Bloodline, right? The fifth movie. <laughs> Wasn't that the name of the fifth Hellraiser movie? It's also the name of the fifth Tremors movie. Hellraiser 4 was Bloodline. And it actually had some of the same crew as Tremors 4. Tremors 5, I believe, is Bloodlines. We're going to get multiple Bloodlines. All right. Well, we'll see if it remains a hotly contested fight for control. And I can't wait to hear how funny you think Jamie Kennedy is. The guy from Scream, I barely know who Jamie Kennedy is. Go to YouTube. Go watch some Jamie Kennedy experiment. You got X'd. You got X'd. Like the dumbest catchphrase. (laughs) I, I don't know what that means. And don't forget Friday, we'll be reviewing The Hills Have Eyes, the remake of Wes Craven's original. I thought we already did this. Oh, that's right. There's another one that I know nothing about, but was very popular at the turn of the millennium with all that torture porn. I saw it in theaters. Is it torture porn? I mean, we kind of talked about the original and it's it's what the original is. But we will talk about that this Friday for our silver level donors. Hopefully you've signed up so you can get... All the bonus podcasts coming this season from Rosemary's Baby, The Omen, The Hills Have Eyes, so much more. Find out the details on our website. Should be a great show. Big package of bonus shows. You can find all the details on how to keep now playing on the air on every Totally Free Tuesday. It's supporters that allow us to keep doing this show every week. I know when we announce Tremors, a lot of people are like, is that going to be one of the free series? It is, but it is because we have donors that keep us going when they listen to the Friday shows. So thank you for your support, and I hope you're able to join us this Friday. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. Until next time, this has been Now Playing, the podcast hotter than a 50 cal on full auto. We killed it. We killed it. Fuck you! (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. Now this is low. We have got to set our sights a little bit higher. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Nobody handles garbage better than we do. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. See, we plan ahead. That way we don't do anything right now. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Let's be honest, you've got a lot of red in your ledger. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Is there some higher force at work here? I mean, are we asking too much of life? You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. I would venture that it matters not how you spend your money, but how you spend your life. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. I mean, we could make some real money on this thing. We could get in People magazine. 
You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. We don't have much of a budget, you know. It's not a high priority in Washington, okay? Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. You have asked for some uh, unusual things. Find the details on our website. I bet you made a fortune off this. Well, somebody did. Sure wasn't me. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. Lead, follow, or get out of my way. I'll lead. That's not an option. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Last check. How many Twitter followers did you have, huh? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. You're underachieving big time, my man. You should be a global brand. Come on. Associate produced by Jason Latham. There he is. Huh? The man, the myth, the legend. Now Playing is edited by Stephen, Heath, and Arnie. Doing what I can with what I got. Now playing credits read by Brock. I just bet that you could charm a cow right out of her calf with those fancy words. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I feel I've not been privy to critical, most needful information. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. But I do not dwell on that over which I have no control. That's great. I have to do all the dwelling. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. She's been flipping off the feds longer than Wesley Snipes. It's got to be a record. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Your little jungle boat ride is over, mister. Time to fish or cut bait. Did Burt Ward, did he need some more money? Or not Burt Ward. Burt Ward. Bert, yeah, I screwed Fred, <laughs> Burt Gummer and Fred Ward, mixed them up. <laughs> as soon as I saw, now I want to call him Burt Ward, but that's not his name. As soon as Michael <laughs> Gross. Yeah, that's true. <laughs>